Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Home Abstract and Title Company was founded in 1867 and is the oldest company still operating in McLennan County. Home Abstract is comprised of a team of honest, friendly, hardworking professionals dedicated to providing both commercial and residential real estate clients with the highest level of communication and service. Their team is committed to working hard and building and maintaining strong relationships because transactions are so much more than just deals. They are clients deserving of the courtesy, care and respect that Home Abstract and Title Company is known for. Visit Home Abstract and Title Company at homeabstract.com. The Waco History Podcast is sponsored by Brotherwell Brewing on Historic Bridge Street in Waco. Cross the Brazos and Waco Ride hard and I'll make it by dawn Cross the Brazos and Waco I'm safe when I reach San Antonio Okay, so Waco History Crossroads, our first uh, guest uh, with my co-host, uh, Rick Tullis. Rick, you want to introduce our first guest? Yeah, I'd like to introduce uh, Claire Colgen McDonald. So uh, Claire, uh, she grew up Colgen here in Waco. And uh, Claire, you want to... Say hello to the audience. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, it's it's great to have you in. So we're talking about uh, Waco history as crossroads, and and when we thought about some frameworks for that, Rick said, "Got to have Claire on uh, to talk a little bit just about your family's history and and their role and kind of connecting this place to other places." Yeah, it turns out uh, when you just talk about roads, it puts people to sleep. So we were hoping to bring some personal stories into this and. And, and make it real. And uh, your great-grandfather had a ton to do with the development of not only Waco in general, but uh, certainly with the road systems around Waco and in Texas. And so um, we'd love to give you a chance to, to talk about that. Well, I'll do my best to make roads exciting. <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously having the last name Colgen as a kid, uh, the highway has Colgen on the name as well. And so it's always been something, I guess, people have tied to our family. So mm-hmm. it's a neat legacy. And, uh, you know, certainly I've, I had a nickel for every time somebody brought that up. Right. But, uh, yeah, what what's it, your daytime job by yeah, the way? So, yeah, well, I always thought kind of the tie was neat that he was a car dealer, uh, but then he started working on the good roads project and then it just kind of tied in naturally with tra- transportation, not to be, you know, too uh, philosophical, but we, we feel as car dealers, our role is to provide for transportation needs of our community. And that's kind of what roads do. So it fits together real nicely, just what he did full time. And then also his volunteer work. When you can imagine, um, it's a little self-fulfilling when you're early in the technology, right? The early part of the 20th century and you want to sell more cars, but cars, but there need to be more roads, right? There was a, there was a constraint in the, uh, in the marketplace, you know, people couldn't, couldn't drive uh, everywhere they wanted to. Yeah, Jack was from Michigan, and he came down here uh, because of World War One. So I imagine mm. that transportation all the way from Michigan down mm. to Houston at Ellington Field was probably not so pleasant. And then obviously he grew up around Detroit, 
kind of the mecca of oh, yeah. auto, mm-hmm. auto dealers. So he's kind of always, I guess, was around cars. And then thankfully the war ended and he tried to try to find his place in the world, which ended up being the car business. Right. Well, and, and not that we're going to think totally linearly here, but uh, um, Stephen and I had uh, had talked a little bit already about uh, the, the uh, location of Waco and how it was a natural pathway that turned into trails and roads and, um, you know, a place for humanity to go north and south in Texas. And um, I guess we could pick up the story, you know, kind of post- Civil War, you start seeing the railroads, they come in, they take on a big chunk of the, uh, of the transportation loads. And, and it's really the first time humanity can travel faster than a horse and carry more than a horse. So it was, it was very transforming. But then uh, towards the, uh, the end of the, uh, I guess, the 19th century, the car gets developed. And the first cars get into Texas in the 1890s or so, somewhere in there, I think is what I read. And uh, so what would it what would have been like driving a car in Texas in like in the early 1900s? You know, I even think about you know the tw- if you've ever driven a Model T, they're not <laughs> very pleasant, and I couldn't imagine driving. And that's on a paved, nice road. I couldn't imagine driving one on a dirt road or lack of road, and just how how brutal that must have been. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, the other technology that was coming online at the same time, which created the same problem was the bicycle. I mean, we don't realize how, how, how uh, popular the bicycle was in those days. It was like having a horse you didn't have to feed and clean up after. So, Mm -hmm. um, but you had the same limitations. You didn't, you couldn't, you know, they didn't have the fancy mountain bikes we have today that you could traverse trails with. So, well, and in those early cars, you were, you were about as exposed to the elements as you are (laughs) on a bicycle. And, you know, it, it's not just about roads, it's support. You were just talking about COVID getting parts to fix cars. You had to have a pretty intimate relationship with your car back then because <laughs> you were probably the mechanic that was going to fix it. Yeah. Well, and also they were difficult to operate. My great-grandfather used to talk about he also gave lessons when people were buying their first car because they didn't know how to drive one, let alone, you know, they were almost, they were more tractor-like, so I su- suspect people knew at least how to work on the magnetos, things like that. But how to drive a car was part of the car buying process for a lot of people <laughs> in the early years. Right. We're uh, still doing that today. It's just more uh, te- teaching people about the adaptive cruise control and all the technology. Right, right. So they know how the steering wheel works, but all the other stuff, there's a lot of learning still. Yeah. I think there's a good analogy there. I'm thinking about stuff in our lifetime. Um, you know, the er- early computers, right? Mm-hmm. If you were early a computer uh, aficionado, you built your own computer. And so it wasn't until the, the mainstreaming of, you know, through Apple and through these other, you know, that we could just go down to a store and buy one. Mm-hmm. And I guess cars went through that same evolution. You you really had to want one and know how to work on it um, to keep it going. Well, I'd love to hear more about just what he told you about the, uh, I'm fascinated with the car business as well. So what he kind of told you maybe about the early car business uh, in town. Well, yeah. all my, all my re- all my memories of him are, you know, secondhand. I have just a few. Mm-hmm. He died when I was pretty young. But, uh, you know, so I hear all the stories mm-hmm. through someone else. But, you know, I think when the stories that are repeated the most are about the hard times of World War II and how they overcame that and how the dealership was able to survive those sorts of things, just as other dealerships were. And then also, it's always interesting to me that, you know, he wasn't college educated. He wasn't super wealthy. But he had such an interesting position in so many Waco things. Mm-hmm. And car dealers back then seemed to have a, you know, a really interesting voice in the community. And, uh, you know, 
definitely that I think kind of uh, if you go into a lot of communities that had dealerships back then, the car dealer was kind of a, a central voice in what the community was working on and where they were trying to progress things. So mm-hmm. kind of interesting. He wasn't the only car dealer that really helped his community. You know, I think talking about bumpy roads, <laughs> as I was reading back through my oral history book here, um, LaSalle was kind of where the I-35 thing kind of started. Okay. It, LaSalle was dirt back then, apparently. And there was a bridge over the Brazos, and they were trying to get LaSalle paved. And as part of those meetings, somebody said, hey, you know, if you ask them to have I-35 go through town, you could probably get LaSalle paved all at the same time. And that those two projects were kind of what started, I guess, the conversation mm. and, and what ended up getting both LaSalle paved and getting I-35 to go through Waco down yeah, kind of that so, Highway 81 route, I guess. Yeah. So at that point, Jack was involved statewide in some organizations, if I remember that right. The, um, what was it? The, the good, uh, I believe it was good roads association. Good roads yeah. association. Yeah. 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 How about that? They were, <laughs> <laughs> they said a low bar. They didn't want great roads. They just wanted good yeah, roads. Okay. I mean, <laughs> well, I think there was the good roads association. I'm not an expert on that, but then there was also the uh, Waco chamber had a roads committee and he was the chair of the roads committee. And yeah. I think those two projects and then uh, governor Conley appointed him to be the, on the uh, highway commission. Mm. So that's how I think it, all kind of led and then he was on that for I think eight years and for three of those years he was the chairman and it was during that time in the 60s that they really kind of finalized the interstate plan that Eisenhower started mm-hmm. yeah and so his involvement in that of course is gonna is why I crossed his uh, road coming over here uh, well yeah. according to my yeah. dad who, who's much more uh, astute on history than I am uh, there was a city manager at the time uh, named David Smith I believe yeah. And he just decided to name it the Jack Colgin Freeway and did. There was no voting. There was no <laughs> policy. Uh, he made some signs and he wouldn't put the signs up. And that's always been the story of Mr. Smith decided and put up a sign. And, and so it was. Mm, that's funny. Well, I mean, as you, you know, think about in the business that you're in uh, with kind of Waco's relationship to other places and Waco's crossroads, I mean, I think of it from a historical angle, but but how do you think about kind of how Waco's positioned? Oh, well, I guess, you know, growing up here and being a native, it, I just think about the suspension bridge and our legacy there of cattle drives, and this is how you got across the river. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of why Waco got on the map was all going back to that bridge. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, we just kind of expanded on there. Yeah, we talked about the, the Austin Avenue Bridge was, I mean, excuse me, the Washington Avenue Bridge was the uh, first automobile bridge uh, that Waco got that was built for automobile traffic in 1904. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think of all those bridges as kind of marking, you know, the interstate bridges, the Herring Avenue Bridge. They each kind of have a different segment of kind of Waco's history and, and the story that you can tell through those crossings and of yeah, bridges. And that, that yeah, that LaSalle Bridge is actually the Jack Colgin Bridge. There's not a sign on it anymore, but uh, I think that was kind of the, mm. you know, the, when they were able to pave LaSalle and get that bridge, you know, made a little nicer, they, that was kind of a nice thing he did. He was more, I think, interested in the LaSalle project and the interstate just kind of tacked onto that. And then that led to the appointment on the highway commission and exactly where is I-35 going to go. My understanding is there was a, you know, the federal effort and Eisenhower's plan was to make it go around the major cities. Mm -hmm. And then most of the local politicians wanted it to go through their cities. There was a big kind of back and forth on that. And eventually, you know, it 
did go through Dallas and Waco and Austin, San Antonio. So you can obviously tell it ended up going through most of the major mm-hmm. cities. And then another thing I was always told was that highway, is it 81? I, I don't know this highway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. They were running out of money. So that highway is already almost built to the interstate standards. So that was one of the reasons they were able to get it through Waco as well, because they could just kind of use that segment from Hillsboro down to about Temple mm-hmm. and save a bunch of money on that. Ah, yeah. So um, we have jumped kind of into I-35 a little bit. And one of the predecessors to that, we talked about this, this early uh, evolution of the technology, uh, cars and bicycles and wanting roads. Um, came there in, uh, historically, there was this thing called the, the Meridian Road, Meridian Highway. It got called a couple different things. That was uh, the brainchild of some guys in Kansas that uh, saw this opportunity. If they, they could create a named road that ran north and south from Mexico to, to Canada. And, uh, um, it, and if you can imagine being back then, again, an emerging technology that, that needed these roads in these cities, uh, I believe, saw this as economic development. Right, you wanted to be on a major road. Most of these guys were not, but a generation or so away from when railroads mm-hmm. came through, and so they'd seen the evidence of what happened when the railroad came through your town versus when it didn't. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure some of these guys had the foresight to go, man, we want these major road roadways, highways, connection points to come through our city and be an economic driver. Um. So, so those guys in uh, Kansas, they, they create an association. They, they got with each of the states. And if you look at that map, uh, if, you, if you Google the Meridian Highway and look at that road, Waco is a fork in that road. So one, one uh, element then goes down to Houston-Galveston, goes, goes down to that major port city, and the other one goes south just you know where we down to Laredo like we uh, see um, you know, the road go down there today. And, um, um, so again, we, we were at this major crossroads and, uh, if you look at how it's drawn, it doesn't naturally follow, like you were just saying, doesn't follow the interstate today when it comes through Waco, kind of takes a jog back to the West and then back over. But I think at the time they were just trying to put together whatever best paved roads they could find Mm -hmm. (laughs) to make it, to make it uh, the most navigable. Um, but over time that changed. And I think there were those standards, and I haven't read much about them, but the standards that it had to be X wide and X weight bearing and those sorts of things. And then Eisenhower, obviously, one of his his lenses was the defense capability. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure one of you can probably talk more towards that on what his requirements were. But I I know, you know, every so many miles he wanted to stretch long enough that it could be an alternative landing site and that that was a big part of the plan for his funding that they had to try to, as they were piecing these roads together, they had to find straight enough pieces in order to get the federal funding. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. They wanted alternative landing sites and they're also really concerned about evacuation routes uh, in case there was, in case uh, bombs were dropped, atomic bombs were dropped. They wanted to clear evacuation routes one place out of the other. In fact, this is an aside, but when I was in Arizona, uh, their biggest concern was if there's a bomb dropped in California, all the Californians uh, you know, heading east, what do they do? You know, because uh, I, I think of, you know, these railroad, I mean, excuse me, these roads are opening up new, new networks of travel that were really unforeseen of before. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I've wondered is, you know, the Eisenhower's defense view, and, you know, I've 
since he didn't want it to go through cities, was that also a defensive strategy mm-hmm. to make sure that these roads wouldn't be destroyed? If you've ever been to, you know, historic Europe or whatnot, there's still the damage from World War II where the cities were bombed just because of their location, not, not for yeah. any other reason. So if your roads were far enough away from the cities, there's some, you know, protection there for both mm. the city and the road. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a there's a great scene at the uh, in one of the later episodes of Band of Brothers where they're they're traveling up to the Bavarian Alps and the German army's coming. They're they're on the autobahn, so these guys who've been slugging through the mud and through you know France and parts of Germany now all of a sudden you know the the uh, the army's driving down these these beautiful uh, highways the, in the autobahn, and uh, uh, it was really a stark contrast. And and that's one of the things I always heard too was once the uh, Eisenhower saw their their road network and how great it was. It was a, another part of that inspiration to to bring that back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes sense that one of the major generals from World War II, as he's developing our major interstate system, thinks about it through a military perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. And it and it's also was a way to get funding in the fifties. Correct. <laughs> I mean, if, if you could connect it to the Cold War, you could get funding for it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, when when uh, I think about these these road networks, if uh, I looked at a, a, a Rand McNally driving map from nineteen twelve ish time range, cool, and it showed the uh, uh, again the, we Rick sold his business. I don't know if we led with that. <laughs> this is this is what this he's is did. What these, these are sleep aids yeah. I use at night. <laughs> so um, uh, on on this map from from nineteen twelve. Uh, it was really a railroad map, but they had kind of drawn red lines where you could actually take cars. And uh, when you when you looked at it, Waco had eight of these lines coming into it, into the hub of of Waco. You know, you can think of the the roads now. What would would be eighty four and seventy one and seventy seven and every, or whatever. Yeah, I'm thinking um, uh, I thirty five coming in and out of Waco. And it was a stark difference when you looked uh, around the state. The other cities, most of them had three, four, mm-hmm. six, maybe. It, it really does look, uh, when you look at it, uh, this crossroads idea uh, that, that Waco was in the middle of the state and had the most connector roads coming into it, at least at that time. I mean, obviously, you know, the landscape's changed, but um, uh, definitely helped with our theme on crossroads. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it's very central. You know, it, it's kind of funny. I, I bought an electric vehicle a few weeks ago, and... Now I'm, you know, kind of experimenting in that. And there are certain places that are easy to go because I can recharge my truck. And there are certain places like Fredericksburg that are not as easy to get to because of the infrastructure. And so, you know, is this the modern transportation infrastructure step uh, as we, you know, as EVs find a place within our transportation needs? The chargers are another piece of you can have great roads, but if you have no charger, you can't really get from here to there. It, it's it's another step in the Meridian Road concept, right? The the cities that are more forward thinking and get more chargers set up and and have that ability to to service more vehicles coming through are going to uh, generate more economic activity. Well, I think that's fascinating historically. I mean, you you would you'd been concerned about watering holes early on, and and then at one point you may be concerned about gas stations, but now the fact that you can't go if there's not an infrastructure. Uh, the road is there, but everything else you need is not. That's really interesting. So uh, how are you liking it so far? You know, there's so many things I like about it. I didn't expect to like about it. Uh-huh. I've been blessed to drive a lot of good trucks. Yeah. But uh, it's so smooth and quiet. 
it's so fast. That's the word that shocks me. Uh-huh. I have to you know, almost pay attention to make yeah. sure I don't floor it because yeah. it, it'll really push you back in the seat. Yeah. Uh, and it tows really well. That was an unexpected surprise. I tow things a lot. Mm-hmm. So that was really nice to see that. I mean, it's really smooth because, mm-hmm. you know, there's the transmissions. There is no transmission. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, just smooth and quiet. I've got little kids, so mm-hmm. a few quiet moments are really pleasant for me. <laughs> well, what do you use to drown out the kids? Uh, you know, you they, have to turn the music up now. just noise. Yeah. I yelling, don't even know. Yelling. Yes, drown they drown up. themselves out. <laughs> they drown each other out. Yeah. Uh, Rick mentioned the Marine High. We'll put that picture in the show notes if you want to go take a look at the, the Marine Highway because it is a fascinating image uh, that you shared with me. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me, let me take us back into old Waco. Okay. And we've really been talking about the highways more or less uh, coming in and out, but uh, uh, t- the, 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 the paving and uh, things along that nature really happened more in the urban areas than outside of uh, these towns. So I, uh, some of more of my late night reading, the Municipal Handbook of Waco from uh, 1911. Yeah. Oh, this is, are you going to read that description that's in the front of those, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, there, there's a report yeah. on here, a municipal report mm-hmm. on all the different parts of the city and what's going on, but there's one on streets and sidewalks. So okay. I thought it would, would take us back just a little bit into what that world looked like. Um, so quoting from the, uh, the book, the most wonderful stride the city has made in municipal improvements has been along the lines of permanent streets and sidewalks, storm and sanitary sewers. I think the sewers are really important myself. Uh, from the beginning, uh, the commissioners have centered their energy in this direction, and crusade after crusade was made for building sidewalks. Where five years ago there were practically no sidewalks in Waco, but little more than a, a mile of permanent paved streets, with the exception of the graveled ones. Today, we can boast of 60 miles of cement sidewalks, <laughs> 35 miles during the past two years were done, and 62 miles of beautifully paved streets. The record of sidewalk permits shows that for the year just finished, Waco built more cement sidewalks than any other city in Texas. How about those bragging rights? Wow. Now, there's a there's a, an inventory of which stro- streets are actually paved. And so I think this is, uh, this is interesting because it tells us a little bit about uh, Waco back then. Now, when we say paved, we, we all think nice asphalt roads, mm-hmm. right? So brick. A lot of these were paved in brick, and if you've if you've gone through small town Texas anywhere, you can still find those old brick paved roads. But mm-hmm. um, pretty much all of downtown, it's talking about Franklin and Mary and Jackson Streets, Washington, um, uh, Bridge Street, the Square. Those were all um, uh, paved in bricks, <clears throat> and then uh, they had a lot of roads that were. Uh, uh, they called it uh, uh, macadamized, and that was really just an angular gravel packed down really mm. tight. So it was better than dirt and mud, right? When it rained, it actually shed off the water, but um, it wouldn't be wouldn't, wouldn't wouldn't be what we consider paving now. And then they did have some roads, probably the nicer ones that were uh, uh, bitulithic um, uh, paved, and that's more like a modern asphalt and. Uh, so that included uh, streets like Austin Avenue, um, parts of Washington, uh, Herring, Columbus. So, so those are the roads that got got the better stuff. Mm-hmm. So interesting, yeah. Um, and that's when the reservation is still helping pay for some of those sidewalks <laughs> and uh, roads. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, <clears throat> how they collected those taxes, but yes, we'll we'll assume that. Um. Yeah, if you, if you run over right now, they're te- tearing up Elm Avenue. Uh, and one of the fascinating things um, is they're, they're pulling up the old brick. And that brick probably went in in the 1920s. But they're pulling up the old brick, and they're also finally pulling up the old interurban rail lines that are going up Elm Avenue. They just mm-hmm. paved over them at some point. And so uh, the city has said they're going to reuse that brick for something, but it's brick that goes back to the late 1920s, I think. Right, yeah. right. But yeah, it would have been a rough ride. Uh, suspensions uh, systems and automobiles were not. It's basically a stagecoach uh, with an with an engine. In yeah. It. yeah, big leaf springs <laughs> and uh, big wheels. Um, try to smooth out the ride as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, going from a Model T to a Model A was a, a huge leap forward, but still nothing like what we have today. And then when you get into the the 30s, Fords. I, I mostly know a little about the Fords. You know, we had major shortages from the Great Depression still. So those vehicles really were rough to ride in. Um, very, you know, pretty rough. And then the 40s came in and we had more. You know, we stopped making cars for the war. So not until the 50s did we really get decent automobiles. Mm. And then the 60s, of course, the great automobiles came. But riding over rough roads and rough mm-hmm. vehicles for a long time, mm-hmm. I, uh, I don't envy those journeys. But it's amazing how happy how quickly it happens. I think it's by the 1920s that you could really call at least one car a necessity, not a luxury anymore. Like every family in the U.S. in this area would need to have an automobile. But there was also kind of the cultural and social acceptance. There's a little bit of a stir when they enclose automobiles just because of the space it creates for, you know, kind of a moving closet. Uh, and, and who do you have in your closet and, and what does it mean to invite someone in your closet and what proper people go into the closet and mm-hmm. don't go into the closet created all these sorts of social and kind of cultural concerns. It's very interesting, the history of it. So mm-hmm. every time I see the rumble seats in those old cars, I think, <laughs> well, that, that seems a little quieter to put your children back there <laughs> a little, little behind you. They can't get to you from back there, but also right on the axle so i bet they uh again that's not the preferred seat for me <laughs> right um you know one one of the things we're seeing in modern times is is the uh updating of the interstate that's going on uh f- for our listeners probably perpetually probably enjoying that right now as you go down i-35 um and uh i i, I think we're widening to um four lanes is that uh in certain areas, updating updating the access yeah, roads, three to four. Yeah. Um, eliminating some of the uh, the off ramps, especially around the downtown area, because of the higher speed of vehicles now, and you know, just it's a different landscape. All so, underpasses, no overpasses, or trying not to do overpasses, just underpasses. Right, so, yeah. right. Um, yeah. Know, so we still I, move I forward. Yeah. Certainly, it's worth acknowledging, though, the incredible job those you know those teams have done of that project really beautiful mm-hmm. seemed to go pretty well and ahead of schedule that's you know, pretty unheard of in most projects these days so yeah. we are very blessed i think to have a just an incredible road that just opened up going great and then the highway six project which i've got a front seat view of every day <laughs> also seems to be completely yeah. on schedule and while it's yeah. a mess it's really needed they're adding i believe 11 bridges in that area wow. between the malls so huge project right. but uh, they've already they're already 
clipping along at the pace they plan to, and it's it's really going to be needed and just a great addition, I think, especially with all, you know, the chamber has added so much commercial, uh, you know, so many businesses to the industrial park back there. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to have all that access so that mm-hmm. all these businesses can come in from across the world. They're recruiting worldwide businesses to Waco because of the transportation benefits right. here. Yeah, we're, it's a it's uh, been a logistics hub for many years for a lot of companies, and that, that tends to be um, some of the a lot of the businesses that get uh, recruited or or that want to move here is because we're three hours away from twenty plus million people in, in the state of Texas. So it's kind of a it's a great hub mm-hmm. to have to uh, come out of. Uh, you know, I'll I'll tell you one of the things. In fact, just recently, I um, uh, was in a meeting with city and county and community leaders. And uh, we were just thinking about, okay, what are some of the things that the top things we need to be thinking about, right? If, if, uh, if we want to be like Jack Colgen and all the, all the, um, the differences he made in our community, because he obviously, um, was, was, had vision to see things that needed to happen, whether it was Lake Waco or, or the road systems, um, and several other things he worked on. You know, what are those things we need to be thinking about? And as you can imagine, with a lot of the growth that's happening in Texas and Waco in particular, uh, roads is top of mind and mm-hmm. making sure um, the, the, the great commute times that we all get to enjoy now, uh, that that doesn't go away. And uh, um, so I know it's, it's a challenge to uh, endure through a, a road project on your front door at your business. <laughs> but in the long run, it's, it's going to be a great asset. I'm interested going back, Claire, you mentioned his investment in the LaSalle project. Why do you think that was so so important to him at the time? Uh, you know, I don't know that he was, that that was a big project for him. Mm-hmm. I think it was just, um, that's what the that's what the <laughs> chamber was working on, and he was, he was on that committee. Uh, but I think it was the funding, and somebody gave him a tip. He was very good and very involved in politics. So I think it was the tip of, hey, tie these two projects together. I see. And that'll, you know, that'll allow them both to go the right way. Mm-hmm. I think it was all politics and bundling of projects, the I old, guess. The old bundle negotiation tactic. Yeah. But, I mean, the circle was so kind of central to operating in the area and so iconic, uh, I think, for traffic coming in and out of, of Waco yeah. back in the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it is the epitome of a crossroad. And it, it's still, people still haven't figured out how to navigate it. <laughs> I'm, I'm frustrated daily. Uh, with people's approach to the circle, which is completely wrong. That solid white line means something. Don't cross it. Yeah, you know, this is your opportunity yeah. to yeah. educate yeah. and remind people one no, more it's, time. It's, it's the people that, that, that need to hear it that aren't listening. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> well, um, I think there were a couple other points you wanted to bring up on the uh, the crossroads. Stephen, what do you got? Yeah, I you know, we've – I think there's um, – a lot of different directions. We, we haven't talked about the river much, you know, we, we haven't talked about, um, you know, the, the other places in particular that, that Waco has relationship to, um, you know, I think we'll get into more of that as we get into our series. I think yeah, we're off certainly off to a, a great start here. I'm looking forward to unpacking this, uh, as we go, you know, it, it, it is something I think that has been true from the beginning I mean, when I when I initially think of of crossroads, I think back to you know Horn Rock Shelter, which is this is this great 
archaeological site that's between here and Lake Whitney where they're, they're, they've discovered very, very important burials that go back 10,000 mm-hmm. years and just that that's been happening in this region. I mean, we're doing it in a new way, right? We're doing it in electric vehicles and looking for charging stations, but it's been happening in this region for thousands of years. And so it's just interesting to see all the things that means uh, to us as Wacoans. So it'll be fun to unpack together. Agreed. Claire, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Waco History Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes so we can reach more listeners. You can find show notes and info on every episode at wacohistorypodcast.com and more info on Waco's past at wacohistory.org. Our theme music, used with permission, is Cross the Brazos at Waco, performed by the late Billy Walker. For more info on Billy's music, go to billywalker.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been a Rogue Media Network production. Thank you.